This is Rafael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube Podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. There we go. Second time's a charm. So <laughs> before we start recording, we're just playing Magic the Gathering Arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a bit of fun. I know. Yeah. Because I started, I started getting into it because I've been looking for something casual to kind of have on the side as well as because I haven't been able to play games recreationally yeah. in a long time. I've pretty much only been playing video games if I live stream it. Yeah. And that's about it in recent years. So I was looking for something casual that I could kind of just get into as well as like I kind of got from playing Teppin for a bit uh, a couple years back. I got a bit of the taste for strategy card battle games. And so I was like, oh, yeah, magic. We dabbled in that a bit when mm, we were long younger. Time ago, back in the day. Yeah, long time ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's got a digital version now. That's probably fun to get into. And now I'm hooked. So <laughs> and now I think I've got you hooked. Yeah. And so we were we were both playing right when it was time to record. And so we were like, should we just battle for a bit before we start recording? Yeah, let's, let's we did like one or two matches. We ended up doing like three. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. We did the several best of threes. So. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was fun. I was going to point out too, I was kind of saving this for podcast discussion. The It's kind of cool because you probably noticed they have all the D&D themed stuff in Magic yeah, the Gathering now. Yeah, because they had the uh, Baldur's Gate crossover. Yeah, well, they had several ones. There's a, there's a Forgotten Realms pack that was from a while ago. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't have too many cards from that pack, I don't think. But now there's a, yeah, the latest one is Baldur's Gate themed. And you've probably noticed that it's Tasha is in the like the load up screen right now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, because she's the planeswalker from that. Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But it's super cool seeing, for me, coming now as a D&D nerd, seeing all this D&D stuff in it, and it feels very familiar. Yeah. And there's a lot of D&D mechanics in these cards, too, that they've incorporated, oh, is there? which is super cool. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been opening too many packs, so I don't know yet. Yeah, well, what you got to do is start completing those daily challenges. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to start doing. I'll I get, you the, playing, get you the like, gold and the XP. I just started playing people today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's super cool seeing the all this D&D stuff in there, both D&D monsters and uh, D&D mechanics. Uh, lots of really cool stuff. Can you get a gelatinous cube? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen a gelatinous cube. I want a gelatinous cube in my deck. I don't even know what it would be. With <laughs> Green deck. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's... Uh, the, the And I heard about this happening when these packs were first introduced, but I've gotten to see it more firsthand now, or I've seen the cards that use it, is that there are some cards in Magic now that use a D20 as part of their yes. mechanics. Yes. And uh, yeah, I have a few of those cards now. I haven't gotten to play i think any of them yet but i have some <laughs> and i'm like whoa d20s and magic what is this here's the thing i played against a red deck that used a mechanic i had never seen before i think they played a card that gave like their deck a class it was like barbarian class or something like that oh snap and you could tap land to level up and i think there's like <laughs> or something like that i was like what the heck is going on here like what, what what is even happening i didn't get to see it because like they died <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, I, they, they played that card and I was like, what even is this? This is Magic the Gathering and they played a Barbarian class card. It was like an enchantment of some kind. Yeah, well, they're, 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 you will notice that cards have classes too, or like some, it's like a label that's on like their creature type. Some will have classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff to it now. It, I'm not going to lie, playing Magic the Gathering or playing a strategy card game in general, especially with all of the tabletop RPG game design I've now done. Yeah. 
it really just triggers my game design brain yep. full of inspiration every time I play games like this. It's all horizontal design and it's like Yeah, and it's pure mechanics. It's, it's just mechanics. laying out a battlefield of mechanics and watching them interplay. It's so inspiring and it's so fun because you used this illustration to me once and I've kind of latched onto it is the idea that these strategy card games like deck building is basically game design. Yeah. And what it is, is you trying to create a better game design than your opponent. Yeah. It's like my game design versus your game design. Yep. I thought that was really cool. The magic meta, the card game that is magic. <laughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> it just gives you a bunch of mechanics and a bunch of tools that you can use to then put together to make your own game that you're playing versus your opponent's own game that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Your game has to be more efficient and more balanced or whatever it needs to be better than theirs is well really i guess it 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 favors unbalance at a certain point you know what i mean like you want your game to be busted (laughs) (laughs) but yes yes for them (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's the dev's job to balance the game you're you're here to make busted decks (laughs) but yeah because like all it does is it provides you mechanics like yeah this does x y and z and like okay i can do x y and z in this combination and you have now made your own your own little game within the game yeah well and that's the thing is you got to define that's the thing i'm realizing or i have realized especially in playing teppan is like the important factor of deck building yeah this is really the deck building theory is you got to define your win condition yeah. is one of the first things you got to do and so once you've defined your win condition that's like your design principle when you're starting out on a design project yeah and so once you've defined that all of your decisions get funneled through that and get shaped from there mm-hmm. and it really helps when you're refining your deck to keep that in mind because again kind of like when you're working on a any art project right if you're how you have your design principles in mind it helps to focus you where it's just like is this necessary well compare it against my design principles and see yeah if it is or if it isn't yep and same thing with your deck sometimes you get attached to stuff and it's like mm, but does this serve the win condition yeah and sometimes you're like yeah it probably could get replaced with something more useful or even like just a flavor of it because I, I i built my first custom deck, because I, I haven't done too much of the deck building in Arena yet. My first custom deck was called Life and Death, and it's white-black. I went and started like putting cards together. I was like, okay, obviously there's some really obvious cards that need to go in here. I started adding some other cards that are good cards that I was like, this doesn't go with the Life and Death theme, but this is a good card. It's got to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got And I enjoy, I, I, probably not as many people do that either. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoy that flavor building as well. Yeah. Like flavor building is also part of the fun for me. Just building to the theme. Yeah. Yeah, that's a ton of fun. For me, the deck isn't just like, obviously, there's a set of mechanics that it has to win. But it's also like, it's a bit of role playing where, you know, you you play this, I think the 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 meta meta game of magic is you play a a planeswalker or a, some sort of sorcerer and all of these cards are spells that you're casting to beat someone else right mm-hmm. yeah even the creatures yeah are they're technically all the creatures are spells they're called creature spells everything is a spell yeah and it's like you're technically what you're doing is you're summoning them yeah to do your bidding <laughs> yeah so it's like it, when i'm thinking about that it's like okay so like what this deck who's like spell book is this like if i like, like necromancer spell book what kind of spells would they have right mm. so it's like i'm playing like this this life death deck it's like you know the person who would be playing who who knows all these spells they wouldn't know these spells they don't care so get these out of here and that's how i yeah. that's how i figure it 
Yeah, yeah. It's a fun challenge in that way, too. But again, I think we might be one of the few that think of it that way. But I really enjoy that stuff. Yeah. What's your as the joy of playing it casually, though, because that's true. You're not trying to be super competitive. Once you get into like the meta of the game, the the meta competitive scene is like there are decks that win Mm. (laughs) and that's it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) this is fair. And it's basically just like trying not to make mistakes (laughs) is how good of a player you are. (laughs) Yeah, and hope you draw well. (laughs) But that's why you have the best ofs, because this is true. A deck. That's the thing. Like a good deck isn't like. You don't win all the time with a good deck. A good deck wins 60% of the time or like 55% of the time. That's a good deck. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's a completely different kind of thinking where it's like, yeah, like if you're in a tournament and you're doing best of whatever, you just have to win more often than they do because it's all yeah. to, the, to the draws. It comes down to all this other stuff. All you Lots have of probability. To do, yeah. The player, you have to make the best decisions, the highest win chance decisions. That's your job. The deck's going to give you whatever it's going to give you. And you have to make sure you don't make any mistakes mm-hmm. and then hope that your deck is going to come out on top more often than theirs does. So, yeah, Magic the Gathering has been fun. That's been it's fun been to get fun. back into. We might stream that sometime because uh, I think we definitely. Yeah, should. we've been having a lot of fun with it. Well, I need more. I need more decks, though. I need more options. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. That'll give you. We, we got our, our taste right now. We got yeah. our little taster off stream of battling each other but yeah we all let you i'll let you grind and develop more decks and then we'll battle again at some point okay so uh i guess there's a number we've been building up a number of topics because last two episodes ended up being all exu calamity talk (laughs) so (laughs) there's still a buttload of stuff that we've been meaning to talk about so much stuff we need to talk about it's like i haven't even haven't gotten to talk about comic-con yet san diego comic-con happened in 2022 for the first time in years that was kind of crazy yeah that was a lot of cool stuff in there yeah that would have been a topical (laughs) like months ago but yeah it was pretty neat yeah. yeah, there was I will say there was some cool stuff. Uh, obviously, I was tracking all the Marvel stuff that was coming out of there. Uh, there was some really dope stuff. Apparently, there's a new uh, Daredevil series in the works at mm-hmm. for Disney Plus, which is kind of cool to hear. Charlie Cox, Daredevil. Yeah, oh. Charlie Cox coming back. So which is really exciting for us because we, we both really love yeah. Daredevil. Yeah, uh, the Daredevil Netflix show was just masterful or originally Netflix. Now that's Disney Plus, too. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. they straight stole it, straight up stole it. Just yoink. Um, yeah. So that's really exciting. Oh, that show is so good. Probably one of my it favorite is. shows of all time, really. Yeah. And because it, it wasn't just the thrill of it being like a Marvel property and it was you know good because of that. It was also just a really good story. I mean, it was great. Yeah, it was it had full of like on, like standalone, full of great performances, yeah. full of great uh, storylines. Like the drama was fantastic. The action was phenomenal. Yeah. Still, to my mind, probably some of the best action I've seen in the television television format. Yeah, it's just mind boggling. A lot of it. There are a couple of shows that we need to see, though, that uh, probably might give it a run for its money. Oh, yeah. Like what? I don't remember. Like if, Warrior. Which one was Warrior? Warrior was the show that was based on Bruce Lee's unpublished project that uh, he was working on before his untimely death. And yeah, that one's a, a martial arts show that yeah. apparently is really good. It's got a number, a number of cool talent in there. I don't think this was a good show, but it was mostly just like a martial arts showcase. I'm pretty sure, but like Enter the Badlands, I, I think might have had good uh, martial arts. Oh, show. yeah. Apparently Enter the Badlands is pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah. some of that wire foo stuff. Like, I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen too much of the choreography from it. I think that's really what a show like that is going to live or die on. Yeah. Because if the choreography is even 
just mediocre or even if it's good like just good you know it might not be enough for a show to survive on if that's its main thing if that's its main appeal is that it's like this wuxia style martial arts fantasy thing but i would i I, it's on my list i would still want to check it out at some point just out of curiosity to see if it's done well but warrior is definitely one i also want to see and there's some people in that show that obviously we know and we want to see oh yeah yeah the the they had a pretty impressive stunt ensemble yeah. full of all sorts of people from throughout the from martial anywhere. arts world yeah <laughs> yeah i think that was kind of like the whole idea i think yeah pretty much yeah. but yeah th- there's been a couple of stuff that I, we haven't seen that might give it a run for its money but really good proper grounded martial art action uh-huh for the most part yeah some parts for the most part for the most part <laughs> then, then the ninjas show up <laughs> and then the ninjas show up and it's like yeah <laughs> Although Philip okay, Silvera, man, yeah. great choreographer. Uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a really big fan of all the work he does. Season one, one take, best fight scene in TV. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Well, the the season three oneer was pretty solid, though. Gotta admit, I think the season two oneer was the only one that was like a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah. It's still pretty exciting, but I was mainly just kind of bummed about the fact that it was obviously very stitched together yeah. from several different cuts yeah. or several very, several different it was shots. Like five different takes. Oh, there were so many because there was VFX shots they were splicing in there in the middle too. So, and then yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of hidden cuts, quote unquote hidden. Uh, To me, it was as like with my editing eye, it was pretty clear where they were hiding the cuts. But there's a thing we I think we need to like rename those kind of shots because obviously, like the gimmick is it's a one take, but half of them aren't one takes. Like no, 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 eighty percent of them aren't one takes. We've always called them at least in our internal dialogues pseudo oneers and yeah. i think that's really what it is it's but just it, it it's, needs to be like a better name for that whole thing as a as a whole that way you don't have like one takes and then pseudo oneers like oneers and pseudo oneers <laughs> all of that right like that kind of a scene like like uh i don't know i was gonna say like uncut but that's not right either um yeah yeah there's got to be something to like encompass encompass both of those because obviously there is a feeling they're trying to evoke with that and sometimes they do do a genuine one on set take but other times they just need that that cinematic language to come through of this is a continuous shot even though it doesn't have to necessarily be one continuous take on set yeah yeah and it's really they're just they're floaty scenes they're floaty yeah because yeah, you know the camera <laughs> yeah. you know the camera gets all floaty whenever it starts and you yeah. realize it's like oh it's time for the water <laughs> you can tell when the steady cams come out yeah, suddenly everything's on steady cam and gimbal <laughs> No, oh, yeah, you could definitely. You, uh, that's what I love is that there's like there's there's a convention. There's like an archetype. Yeah. You could tell visually it gets when floaty, it gets really wide, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get the the angle. the The lens gets wide. The movement gets floaty. <laughs> you can just you can tell when a wonder is about to happen. You're like, oh, it's wonder time. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I have high hopes for. It's gonna be called. I think Daredevil Born Again is the name of the is what mm. they're calling the that's this a new good reboot. Name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it'll be curious because I guess it's a bit of a it's a bit of a reboot. I'm unsure how they're going to do it canon wise. I guess we'll see. But it was also really cool seeing they came out with new trailers for a lot of other uh, upcoming big Marvel properties uh, for their live action work and Marvel Studios as in. So but yeah, it was kind of cool seeing because Daredevil shows up in the She-Hulk trailer as well, which was kind of cool to see. I actually, I I wasn't quite expecting that, so that was a huge delight. I I figured something like that could have happened. Yeah, it is the lawyer show. Yeah, exactly. That's one of those things where it's like, I I didn't 
think it would happen, but if it did happen, not surprised at all. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, we might like, have to take a look at sense. that. That just one. slots right in. We might have to take a look at that one. Yeah. And then also they came out actually with their first trailer for the for Black Panther 2 as well, which is mm. gonna be fascinating. How are they gonna do that? Yeah, That's it's called obviously. Wakanda Forever. Um Right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, because I don't think I honestly I'm not sure what the plan is right now. I don't know if they've given official word. And the trailer was very teasery. It had a lot of footage from the film, but it's unclear who the Black Panther is going to be. Because I don't. Because obviously, Chadwick Boseman is resting in peace. Mm-hmm. And the question, of course, is: Are you going to recast T'Challa, or are you going to do another Black Panther? Because Black Panther yeah. is a legacy character, exactly. so you can do other. You can do other Black Panthers. Even I think Shuri is. Yeah, is in the MCU, right? That yeah. she's a yeah another notable Black Panther. So yeah, there. Uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure what the plan is there, but the teaser trailer was like very good. Tell? It was very. It's a very good trailer. Mm-hmm. Honestly, one of the more masterful trailers that I've seen in a little while. Mm-hmm. It was really well put together, and it it just it evoked really strong emotions including the, the emotions of the meta narrative that are almost attached to this production. You know what I mean? With the passing of Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman and with all that's involved there, it really, it really did a great job of evoking those emotions without necessarily saying outright what yeah. exactly is going to be happening. But, and it, it's almost entirely without dialogue too, I think is the most masterful really? part about it. Really? Yeah. There's no, there's no spoken dialogue in it except for one bone chilling line from T'Challa's mother. And it's, it's incredible. It, you might, you might have to, you might have to see that trailer. I might have to see it. I'm also trailers now. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you back to watching trailers? Did you watch the trailers we talked about that other time? You know what? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> so much for that then. Um, but, but yeah, I can, I can, you can, now, though. You can. Go off but the table again. You, uh, you might have to see the Wakanda forever trailer. Yeah. It looks it is, like I said, I, it's a genuinely good trailer, really narratively and emotionally strong. And it kind of makes me excited for that movie. Oh, also the fact that Namor's in it. Namor the Submariner. Whoa, I didn't realize yeah. he was going to be, he was getting introduced to the MCU with this film. But yeah, I guess that makes sense because Atlantis yeah, and have Wakanda have a bit of a relationship. <laughs> yeah, but that's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is exciting. I hope they get into some of that classic Marvel politics that we're used to from the comics. Yeah. Because those inner geopolitics gets interesting in the Marvel universe. It's yeah. just like they got dinosaurs over in that country. So what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I like how the politics in superhero, in, in, in general, superhero Earth politics gets weird when you have this one country where they establish that they're better than everyone else. Yeah, like it's, it's true. Even a, like it's not even an opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like how do they get around it? It's like okay, well, we have Wakanda, literally better than everyone else. What do they do? Literally. Oh, they choose to be isolationist. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Then you got Atlantis that thinks they're better than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, thinks they're better than everyone else. And what do they do? Oh, they're trapped under the, under the ocean until they're isolationist. <laughs> <laughs> until they're ready to invade. <laughs> And that's always funny because it's just a bunch of these like merfolk coming on land. It's like, we're going to take over. It's like, what are you going to do though? <laughs> yeah. You got to watch out for the merfolk. They're, they're never, they're never fun to get invaded by because they come in, they're all squiddy and it's just, it's a bad time. Yeah. But like the, really the only place they could really take over is like 
California, maybe? Yes, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> coming for the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're coming up to Africa, and it's like, you're not going to do anything here. <laughs> yeah, right. You just challenge me to a land war in, like, the biggest landmass. the desert? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're a fish. You're just going to wait. Uh, yeah. Neymar is fun to hate, though, in that regard. He's great. Yeah. I mean, he's, is, it, is he, I don't know, like, what would the right term be? Like, a confirmed narcissist? Because he is, like, very narcissistic. He, is he, he like, is super nice. narcissist. I mean, he might be. He might be. Yeah. <laughs> but he's great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I still don't actually know if he's, like, a villain or a hero. <laughs> I, I don't quite get it either. It seems to really flip-flop depending on what storyline you're reading because in some storylines he's like pure hero in some storylines he's pure villain he really doesn't seem like he has at all any semblance of an anti-hero archetype which is no. what you would expect from somebody who is kind of you know he here or there one way or the other. yeah it's always only ever one thing or one way or the other it's just, i think like i think it's this weird thing where not in the same way but kind of like how like Thanos or people like that are, where it's like, I want to take over everything unless somebody else has to take over before me and then I'll work together to kill them so I can try to go back to taking over everything. It's <laughs> or not true. Thanos, like, like Dr. Doom or something like that, right? Dr. Doom yeah. up with the heroes a lot because he's it's like, true. No, nobody takes over Earth but Doom. Doom mm -hmm. has rights to Earth, sole propriety. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, slow your roll. We'll, we'll accept your help. But like, you know, as soon as this is over, we're going to fight you again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, Dr. Doom. Namor's in that kind of thing where he's just like, I, I would like to take over everything. And he's just like completely colonialistic until somebody, some alien invader comes in and he's like, mm -mm -mm, nope, not on my planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, Dr. Doom is probably a better comparison. Because yeah, with yeah. Thanos, Thanos is pretty much always evil. It's just in some storylines, he's a necessary evil. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but he's no, he's never any less evil. Like I think yeah. the Thanos imperative is a good example of that. Yeah. Of that storyline. That's probably that's probably my favorite that I've seen Thanos written. That's not by Jim Starlin, because I think yeah. nobody writes Thanos like Jim Starlin. There's just no two ways about that. He created the character. He knows the character. And he's literally the only person who's trying to write the character in the way that he writes the character. <laughs> everybody yeah. else is, has a the very different. Thing. Yeah, everybody else has a very different idea of who Thanos is supposed to be. And yeah. Jim Starlin's Thanos, to my mind, is what Thanos is supposed to be. I'm really inspired by that version of the character. Yeah. And I'm glad the MCU had some semblance of that, even if he was. I think the MCU's Thanos was basically a kitbash of all yeah. versions of Thanos. And so you still have that Starlin element in it of that, that you know, kind of conqueror philosopher. But it was, yeah, definitely a, a, a little bit lighter on the philosopher end. <laughs> yeah, I do like that they had the dual Thanos where, like, you know, he comes back and this is before he has his big. Oh, yeah. What do you call that? Like, they bring in past thanos who's a little bit younger who's a little bit not by a lot i mean i don't know yeah yeah he actually he's, he's pure commander though like yeah but it's just like this is this is like thanos and his physical prime thanos and then mm -hmm. bring in that the later iterations of what we know as thanos the general thanos what you call him yeah he gets to just go and do his thing it's like well oh, yes. i think i think the general yeah. slash warrior thanos are kind of one in the same archetype yeah. as you see yeah. as they treat it in the mcu because it's yeah, because he still does have a big army in that in that version. But yeah, yeah, I, you do get to see, though, in Infinity War, I think kind of more of that classic Thanos of spellcaster, exactly. thinker, very you know, deliberate, uh, 
philosophical type. I think that's more so in the Starlin line. And I think, yeah, I think that is pretty cool that they kind of, they kind of gave both roles better focus in each of the two movies he appears in. So, but yeah, I think Starlin Thanos still, nobody writes Thanos like Jim Starlin. And I just, I just wish more people saw the character that way. (laughs) Cause a lot of people (laughs) just, yeah, a lot of people just write him like he's some big brute. And that's, that's not exactly what that character is supposed to be to me. That's the thing. He's drawn like the Hulk. It's true. <laughs> and so it's just like, well, Starlin has talked about this too, is that Thanos has gotten more buff over time yeah. because He's when he was, square. yeah, when, when he was first drawn, he was pretty normal sized. And th- th- that was the weird thing. He talks about that because everybody compares Thanos to dark side from DC and both of them got more buff over time. Like it's completely coincidental that their designs align. It's kind of yeah. like this happens sometimes, right? This was like the swamp thing, man thing, thing, <laughs> you know, as well, <laughs> where it's, you know, the, the completely coincidental identical designs on Marvel and yeah. DC. And yeah. the same thing kind of happened with Thanos and dark side is they're just completely coincidental. Both started off kind of normal. Both are kind of big, bad archetypes and both just gradually got wider. <laughs> Mm-hmm. wider and more brutish yeah more brutish yeah because i think I, and I think i know why i think i think it's because people in general okay incoming generalization aren't very good storytellers go on <laughs> <laughs> if you have a character whose entire thing like their gimmicks obviously all comic characters have a gimmick right they're one thing that they do you you say this character's gimmick is that they are powerful the philosophical sense of the word, right? Mm-hmm. Not in the violence, Mike physical, makes right. like, yeah, like not in like the, let's just say very low brow sense of the word powerful, right? Because right. it's very easy to be violent. It is very hard to. Yeah. Well, they hear powerful. Be, like physically. Yeah. And they translate it mighty. Exactly. And so I think when the, when you have a character who's designed to be powerful and you hand it off to uh, writers who aren't as competent of a storyteller, they default to power equals strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they start. Well, and sometimes start it might slowly, not even slowly like adds on as you like, as it goes down the line is like, okay, uh, move slightly more in the strength, in the strong way, slightly more in strong, slightly more until eventually you have this character who's completely separated from the power of just like purely intellectual, like st- strategic. Cause it's hard to be, it's hard to write smart characters if you're not smart. that's mean-spirited i'm not i'm just saying it is very hard to do that right especially if you didn't invent the character and you get this character who has to be a very particular personality type and you say okay that's gonna take a lot of work to do what they did i'm gonna take a couple shortcuts and then hand it off to the next writer who it's gonna take a lot of work to do what they did i'm gonna take a couple shortcuts so on so on so on so on so on until you get something completely different Mm, yeah yeah you just it's just a gradual what would you call that iteration on yeah. the brutishness until it's just yeah they're completely far removed but i get what you mean and i think sometimes it's not even perhaps a lack of competence as a storyteller but a lack of completeness maybe you know they might be good storytellers yeah, maybe. for yeah, certain true. types of that stories is that is true but then yeah you hand them this character and it's like yeah you it's like okay I'm not going to be able to do what the, you know, the last person did. Yeah, that's true. Because it's not that there are a lot of different kinds of stories. And obviously people are going to be good at one kind or another. There are uh, plenty of stories that you can be just the absolute like best in your field at. But 
the, yeah, the complete storyteller being able to tell any story competently. Mm. Yeah, and I think, I guess that is a kind of a thing with some writers where they get a little siloed. I'm thinking yeah. of like Aaron Sorkin came to mind when you said like the best in their field at telling one kind of story. I think that's very much uh, with him. He's a great writer, phenomenal storyteller, but he doesn't deal in a lot of different genres, right? He yeah. kind of just does one genre very well and he plays to that. And to his credit, that's probably why we like everything he does is because, (laughs) you know, if he tried to do like a fantasy or a sci-fi, you know, he probably, you know, maybe we wouldn't like that as much. Although I would love to see him try. I would kill to see a genre film by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, (laughs) that would be delightful. And that's kind of like the whole thing behind like our tour theory, right? It's like everybody wants to be that Sorkin of just like their one thing that they're good at and they're just like, you know. They had their, their calling card. They're just going in. This is Sorkin-esque dialogue. Wasn't by Sorkin, but it's like Sorkin, right? It's like, oh, right. yes, of course. That's how you know that you've made it was when people start comparing other works to you. Mm. Everyone wants that, but like the industry doesn't want that. <laughs> the industry right. doesn't want, unfortunately, that's, we're, we're, going, uh, we're going the way of industry in the industry. <laughs> like products, right? You want, yeah. to, you want to have somebody who's general, who can deliver a product, and that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, but I guess, and and it's weird though because uh, when you say like or a tour theory, I think, I mean obviously a lot of that is just nonsense, but it's also, <laughs> you would think it would lend more to more versatile uh, directing styles because when you think of like the great auteurs of the people who would, would people generally point to as like examples of that person was was a great filmmaker and one yeah. that is um that has an iconography that you can recognize a lot of them were pretty complete filmmakers right you think of yeah. like stanley kubrick or uh spielberg or people like that who you know create in a wide variety of genres and do them all competently that is true i think i think that's the problem with auteur theory right because i think auteur theory got mixed with one trick pony yeah yeah i think th- yeah i think that's what happened i think too many people saw or like misconstrued auteur and the idea of somebody being recognizable somebody's work being recognizable by the work alone with being a one trick pony Hmm. yeah i could see that but yeah i think overall all in all you probably just don't need to preoccupy yourself with just do trying to, do. yeah, with, with trying Stop to be trying an to auteur. Just do. Yeah, that's the thing. At a certain point, you got to just do and you got to find your voice because and maybe that voice will lend itself well to one particular style of work and maybe it'll lend itself well to many. But mm-hmm. what's important is you got to love it because if you don't love it, nobody else is going to. Yeah. So just do what if you, you love. If you wouldn't want your own stuff, no one else will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, should we go ahead and go into a? Uh, there, I think there are some more topics I wanted to get to, but maybe we could save it for a different time. Right. But shall we go ahead and get into a did you know segment? I think I'm ready for this did you know segment. I've been waiting for this one for a while because I'm also very curious. <laughs> All right. Did you know? Okay, Lauren, let me let me educate you here. All right, I'm ready to be educated. <laughs> so here's an interesting little rabbit hole I went down recently. So as you know, I recently had to help my significant other shop for internet. Yeah. And here's here's something I've come to realize in researching that is that I've been kind of, I think we've both 
been kind of spoiled. Oh, okay. Because we've generally lived in, in cities or urban areas most of our lives. That is true. And so we, urbanites. we have always had access to high quality internet. And it turns out not all of the world has. <laughs> okay. Um, because uh, she lives in a bit more of a rural area. And what I came to realize is that it's a lot harder to get certain internet options in more rural areas. And this is a huge issue. Of course. So lack of infrastructure. Yeah, the infrastructure just isn't there. And I, I guess I should have foreseen this because, you know, this runs through like telephone lines and stuff like that. Right. And, and uh, uh, cable lines, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And obviously fiber is only in certain places as well. So there's a lot of infrastructure that just needs to already exist in order to get the, the highest quality internet options. And so, yeah, this led me down a deep dive of just trying to understand what the state of internet is right now and what the best options are if the best, best options aren't available, <laughs> right? Yeah, because obviously, yeah, where, where, where I'm at, I, I have cable internet. And so that does well enough pretty much in most circumstances well i would imagine you and i both right now unless yeah. you're at a place that has fiber i don't know but <laughs> i wouldn't know i don't i think it's all cable yeah so because the cable is about second best obviously fiber is the best there's just no two ways about that right that is the definitive best right now and here's how it ranks right so you got fiber is the very best cable would be second best then after that though you have a new thing that's kind of coming in, and this is what mainly what I want to talk about, is cellular, mm-hmm. cellular data like 5G. That right. would be third. And then after that, you have satellite, and then DSL, yep. and then dial-up, which mm-hmm. all of these are still around, believe it or not. <laughs> I do. I, I would believe it. Uh, I've seen some statistics, and it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people, there are still people on dial-up. There are still people on DSL. Isn't it like something along the lines of like most people are still on dial-up and DSL? It might. I, I think it might have worked out to like that the, way even in recent years. I don't know if it's still that way, yeah. but yeah. But it's something along the lines of just because like, you know, like concentrations of people. Mm. But here's the thing. The, the internet landscape is changing in terms of internet access for right. a number of reasons. Um, obviously, you've, you've heard about Starlink. Yeah. And so uh, for those the only one that I am aware of. Yeah. For those who don't know, that's that's SpaceX, SpaceX's Internet initiative uh, to basically uh, launch Internet satellites into space that are going to cover a pretty wide swath of Earth's geography with internet yeah. basically they're gonna beam the internet directly to you directly to you well because that's the thing that's what satellite internet is yeah. right is there uh we launch so there are many different ways to get internet to a person obviously fiber and cable relies on hardwired infrastructure right you yeah. need cable lines that feed directly into somebody's home and yeah. those cable lines you know are just kind of run through the general vicinity that you're in be it a county or a city or whatever mm-hmm. and so those are hardwired below that you have cellular uh, which is here's the interesting thing is that cellular is now becoming a viable home internet option and that has really? never been the case before but is that with the addition of 5g or is it even even before 5g no it's pretty much with the advent of 5g that these so packages making this have like, started coming out. Yeah. I, so that's the thing. I have, I know absolutely nothing about 5G. All I know is that people are making a big stink about it because they didn't understand it. And I was like, 
its cellular service. Like, what's so different? So clearly, there's something different about 5G, which is why people didn't understand it and thought everything was happening. And there's something about 5G that it is like a step above whatever 4G and 3G or whatever that was. That's allowing it to be not just faster internet, but also like more accessible. Yes. Well, so at least. Okay, let me get into it. So first, let me let me let me close the book on Starlink really quick and just explain that. So satellite internet covers a wide area because unlike cable and unlike fiber, it's not relying on any hardwired infrastructure. Right. So the the there the, we literally just have satellite modems up in space that are yep. beaming internet down through the air, uh, generally yep. through uh, electromagnetic waves. Yep. And I, I honestly, I don't know where these satellites are getting the internet from, maybe by the same means, maybe that's getting beamed up to it's them. beamed up and down. Yeah, but then it gets beamed down in a wide array da- to cover large areas. It's kind of like satellite TV, but for internet. Exactly. It's the same, exact same mechanisms. Yeah. So because of that, satellite is actually the predominant internet in a lot of foreign countries and on a lot of rural areas. Mm-hmm. And these are places that just don't have the infrastructure, right? They just don't have the material hardwired infrastructure to get the fastest internet options Be- for obvious reasons, right? Big business is going to prioritize yeah. cities because they know that's yeah, where they're going to make expensive. the most money and it's expensive to yeah dig up those lines. Yeah, it is expensive to put thousands and thousands of pounds of tons of wires into the ground and dig up hundreds of thousands of tons of dirt and yeah exactly the 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 logistics just for like five houses exactly exactly right for a far fewer population and therefore a far fewer profit and therefore big business is gonna are gonna leave those areas behind it's a purely logistical thing it's just economics yeah just economics it's just not gonna happen and so for that reason Satellite has long been the predominant form of internet in a lot of uh, foreign countries that don't have a lot of internet access, as well as a, a lot of rural areas. And so, and as I explained before, satellite isn't that good. It's better than DSL and dial-up. That's about all you could say about it. Uh, and the issue also, it's also like like weather dependent. It is, yeah, yeah. It's got it. It has a lot of potential issues that can arise from it. It's not very reliable. And but here's the further issue, though, because of the fact that it is generally the best Internet available to those who use it. It tends to be very exploitative in a lot of the business practices that are there. Yeah, it is. It would be. And I'm sure there might be logistical reasons for some of these. I don't know. But like they tend to be first off, like I said, it's better than dial up and DSL but not nearly as good as cellular, not nearly as good as cable. We're talking megabits per second, you know, like tens of megabits per second, maybe (laughs) a hundred if you're lucky. It's not very fast internet, but it is way more expensive than even the most uh, cable subscriptions. It's yeah, it's just not a good deal overall. The, the, The pricing plans and everything that I researched into tended to be very exploitative and again i'm there might be logistical reasons for that that i don't entirely understand but i wouldn't be surprised if it's just the fact that they know they have a captive uh, audience you know and a a captive consumer base there's always going to be logistical considerations especially when it comes to launching a thing into space yeah going into (laughs) orbit there's always going to be logistical considerations but there's also going to be the idea that like that's a valid excuse 
and this is a capitalist nation. Yeah. These are all like businesses Mm -hmm. and businesses thrive in capitalist stuff. So it's like, okay, we, even though it is actually very expensive to, to do this, we're going to ask us for a little bit more because we know that you're not going to turn it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, because a lot of people who are in places that they like need to get satellite internet don't have a choice. Yep. So, okay, so now we've kind of laid out the internet landscape, right? Those are your options. So let me tell you about how the internet landscape is changing right in now. 2022. In 2022. Yeah, a lot of this information is 2022 information that I'm about to give you. So, first off, uh, Starlink, again, to wrap that up. Starlink is by far the best satellite option right now. Yeah. It, is it's just also the newest it's a, yeah it's mainly just the that's the primary thing is it's just the newest right so yeah. it's the, it is the most current technology uh spacex is launching internet into space at astounding <laughs> numbers <laughs> and it is beaming back down to earth so starlink is it's pretty pricey to start up because there's a lot of uh startup fees that are associated with it uh, but most of them are one time and yeah. the actual subscription model isn't as expensive as some of the more exploitative satellite providers. Mm-hmm. And its internet covers a pretty wide array of geography. Like it, a lot of different countries uh, and a lot of areas that are underserved even within the United, the United States, right? right? Rural areas and stuff like that. And they're continually yeah. expanding. They're still in the process of launching all of their satellites. And... So it covers a wider area, which means it's available in more places, and it's generally faster than pretty much all other forms of satellite. And yeah. not only that, it's te- people have been running tests, right? Because the internet speeds are things that are actively, yep. there's an active research field for that. And yeah, studies have shown, this data is being tracked, that it's only, it's only been getting faster since they've launched their first satellites. And yep. it's already it's already faster than pretty much all other satellite options, and it's only been getting faster. So yeah. when people, I thought it was almost hyperbole when I first heard people talking about how Starlink is actually really going to change the landscape. I didn't until now really understand how or why, but I'm seeing now it's like okay, yeah, this is actually really going to change the landscape because again, yeah, this a, is big news. A lot of people, especially in countries that really haven't had stable internet access before are now all of a sudden going to have it. And a lot of people in rural areas are going to have a more reliable option. And there's just more people that are going to have internet period directly because of Starlink. And mm-hmm. that's, that's one reason I remember the frugal filmmaker you remember him. Uh, he, yeah. <laughs> he did a whole video of how, yeah, like that's one reason to get into feature films right now is because Obviously, it's a lot easier to get feature films distributed through streaming services, Mm -hmm. and more people are going to have access to those streaming services than Mm -hmm. ever before in the coming years because of initiatives like this. So that's Starlink, hands down the best satellite option right now. That's just the way it is. The the technology is just too new, and it is fast-growing and has been very deliberately designed. Uh, So that's the satellite scene, though. But... What I wanted to talk to you about is something that I didn't realize even was going on, which is cellular as a home internet option, cellular data. And it's pretty much with the advent of 5G that this has been happening. So, yeah, as you were pointing out, like 5G, 5G has been a bit of a big deal. 
because it is by far the fastest cellular data option that we've ever had, as you can tell by its sequential numbering. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's by it's it's pretty exponential. Uh, And I think it might go exponentially like by each number. I'm not entirely sure how the pattern went, but yeah, 5G is a great deal better than 4G, generally speaking. Obviously, there's some fluctuation yeah. because uh, you're getting internet through the air. It's not going to be 100% reliable. Yeah, but it's generally it's generally way better uh, than than 4G. It could even at its best get up to like gigabit speeds. So interesting. Yeah, through the air, uh, because what it relies on is. From what I understand, the the specific kind of technology that transfers it through the airwaves, like the the G's represent basically um, protocols for wavelengths and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, yeah, five G five G is kind of huge. That's kind of a big deal. And the thing is, cellular data, like as you can tell, if you use use your phone, <laughs> cellular data, it's not as widely available as satellite. It doesn't ca- cover as much of an area. Yeah, because you still you still need infrastructure. Yeah, for cellular. yeah, you need cellular exactly. Towers. You need towers. You need cell you just towers. Don't need the wires. Yeah, but you don't need the wires, which means it can reach more places than cable, but fewer places than satellite. Right. But it's it's basically if you have if you have five G, it's basically as good as cable is the thing. Yeah. Right. It's practically there. And you're talking about how you were uh, seeing some patterns emerging, like patterns and strategies of people just hotspotting their 5g phones and then using that to to provide like home internet setups yeah well i think the cellular companies just kind of caught on to this because this year a number of cell uh service providers have been offering home internet options like complete home internet packages that are powered entirely by cellular data completely wireless modem setups that provide 5g home internet that is basically as good as cable without any of the infrastructure. So while you were talking, I did a, I did a, a quick check. Oh boy. Because I noticed when I, I'm at my partner's place, they have two different Wi-Fi options. Or it's the, they're not Wi-Fi options because one is Wi-Fi and one is 5G. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. And I think like my phone can only connect to the 5G option or whatever. So like that's what I have when I'm there at my partner's house, right? Mm-hmm. I, have, I have the 5G option. And basically you know like everything that isn't hooked up to the wi-fi option is hooked up to the 5g option so i was like yeah okay that, that kind of that kind of makes sense right my phone's hooked up to the 5g i use that as basically a, a whole computer on its own here where i am right now in san diego you know staying at a family member's house i just checked my laptop is hooked up to their 5g oh snap wait are you using 5g home internet right now i think i'm using 5g home internet <laughs> Snap, son. <laughs> so, I, didn't, I didn't even realize. You didn't even know because it's, it's you had, blazing fast, isn't it? Because we, we were talking about the latency between us beforehand. It's like the smallest amount of latency we've ever had between yeah. us while we we're in two different locations. It's literally as good as plugging to an Ethernet. Yeah. Wow. So there it is. The practical. Is that has to be the most practical <laughs> twist to one of these did you know segments that we've ever had. It was just like, right. by the way, right. you're using 5G cellular right home now. internet right now, right this moment. That's amazing. Yeah. And like the only the only problem, literally the only problem is certain areas of the house. Just I think there's like more walls. 
Mm-hmm. It, it like dips down for a second, but like you just move a foot over to the left and you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> like that's literally it. Yeah. It so mind blowing. Five G mind blowing. Cellular data home internet options now exist. And here's the thing about these is because the it's relying on infrastructure that already exists. Generally speaking, actually, in all of my research, it, this might change in the future. But right now, all of the pricing plans for uh, cellular data home internet are very reasonable and very non-exploitative. Um, at least less exploitative than their their counterparts, because yeah. it's always going to be this this capitalism. There's always going to be some exploitation. Uh, they could yeah. probably get away. They're making a profit. Yeah, if they so. were breaking even, <laughs> they could probably get away with charging you a lot less. But they're looking to make a profit. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's super cheap, though. It's cheap compared to heck. It's cheap compared to the internet I use right now on cable. It's cheap compared to satellite internet, which is even worse. And <laughs> yeah. it's it's just way cheaper. But with the advantages of both, it's got speed comparable to cable, and it covers uh, similar wide ranges as satellite, right? Because yeah. it could cover more areas than cable. It can cover rural areas. It can cover yeah. uh, places that are uh, are distant from cable lines. Yeah. There's just because it, you aren't limited by literally by cable. Exactly, like cable is limited by cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need you need footage. So that's the thing is. It's kind of a mind-boggling middle ground that's just all of a sudden been added this year to the internet market. Um, it's, it's all best of both worlds. It's the best of both worlds, right? It's the only one that covers wide areas like satellite does, but has cable-like speeds, at least comparable to cable speeds. And But it's way cheaper than both. And so that's kind of mind-boggling right now. And I've seen some stuff, because like the 5G towers... They've been going up all over the place, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen some stuff that, frankly, are kind of funny <laughs> to my mind. These 5G towers don't need to be on towers. They just need to be on a tall thing. I've seen 5G like emitters, I guess let's call them, because they don't have to be on a tower. I've seen them on buildings. I've seen a 5G emitter array on a palm tree. <laughs> what the heck? They just need to be somewhere tall. That's all. Is San Diego? Yeah, here in San Diego. They just stick it on a palm tree, I guess. <laughs> I like, mean, that's the thing. They just, it just has plenty to have of palm trees there. <laughs> plenty. It just, it just has to have coverage, right? It just has to be able to reach a lot of places. It just needs altitude. You don't have to, like, if there is tall stuff around, that's even less of a building cost that you have to consider. Just stick it on a palm tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I actually hadn't considered that. Yeah. Because, well, here's the thing. Let me explain to you how this works, right? Because we talked about satellite for a bit. So, cellular, how cellular works is it's still relying Obviously, like you said, you need towers. That's how it's transmitted. Yeah. But those towers are themselves hardwired, right? So it still needs access to basically a cable or a fiber line. And basically, you take Mm -hmm. one of those lines, they plug into these towers, and then those towers use radio waves to send out uh, internet signals. And those uh, interface with your devices. And... I guess here's the thing. If you ever used radio in your car, you know that radio is actually pretty reliable. So that's why, and that's why, you know, with your cell service, right? If you need to make a phone call, that's as long as you're within range of a tower, you're going to have a pretty reliable connection. So same thing with your internet, same thing with your cellular data and thus with 5G, right? So the towers are hardwired with either a cable or a fiber line, and that is distributed via radio waves to everybody in the area. 
And interesting. Yeah. So that's the thing. As long as you're in an area that could set up those kinds of towers, right. And has the infrastructure to, to access those that can distribute it to an even wider area because radio waves can go pretty fair distance. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Yeah. There you have it. Cellular has just popped into the internet landscape in the past year or two as an actually competitive and useful home internet option. And this is kind of brand new, but as far as I can see, it's really good. Like it's actually helpful as again, as that middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be as fast as cable or fiber. It just, uh, generally it can't be, it's not going to be as fast or reliable as those, but it is still very reliable. It is still very fast and it does still cover a wide area. That reminds me of, I was looking into stuff because I needed to get equipment, obviously, for when I was planning to travel. Like, I, I didn't want to have too many wires just because wires add extra weight as well as stuff gets tangled. And that's just annoying. I didn't want to deal with this. So I was looking into wireless options, right? Wireless keyboards, wireless mice, and stuff like that. And I use a wireless mouse now, exclusively, actually. <laughs> and I was looking around, I was just like, ah, oh, but like, if I ever wanted to like get back into gaming or obviously like I do a lot of art stuff, so like is like the latency of a wireless mouse going to be an issue? Because, you know, obviously wired is just the way to go. There's almost zero latency. And I, with a wireless mouse, it's got to travel through the air. How big of a difference is that going to make? I was looking some stuff up. Pro gamers, professionals use wireless mouse mice and wireless keyboards because the technology of wireless has just gotten that good. Like it's getting to the point now where it's like, yeah, technically there's a difference. You as a human can't tell. Yeah. It's (laughs) imperceptible. We're talking like milliseconds, like milli milliseconds of, of like latency that you would not as a human being be able to perceive the difference between a wired and wireless mouse. So I was like, Oh wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Cool. Wireless mouse. It is then. And like, yeah, everything's just going wireless because the technology for that is just getting better and better and better. We're figuring out how to like, because there's there's a lot of stuff about the technicalities of wired, because obviously going through the air, there's going to be atmospheric disturbances. There's going to be like, you know, literally things moving around between you and the sensors that's going to, you know, mess with your, your connection. The technology that goes into that, like the literal math of preventing like data loss or corruption or errors, right? The actual technology, the math behind it, the protocols are just getting so much stronger and better at being consistent. And it's like, it's only going to get better over time. It's only going to get better over time. When people ask what mathematicians jobs are, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's literally just math and protocol so that a signal traveling through the air, getting to a sensor that you're using to send millions of packets per second, depending on what you're doing can do that accurately and consistently yeah yeah that's the thing the tech is just it's getting to that point it's getting to that point so the question that i have for you now Ralph, uh-huh. are you gonna switch over to 5g no no <laughs> I'm, I'm, sit, I'm sitting comfy with cable right now and it's working very well for me but i will say this as an extra addendum yeah and obviously also we've talked about a lot of brands and stuff in this you know it's worth knowing like absolutely no affiliation i'm just doing this purely informationally yeah. I'm going to say that because I'm about to harp on something. <laughs> oh, so let me tell you about what the possibilities are now, though, in this new Internet landscape, because, you know, there's this yeah. new wave of like, I don't know what to call it. M- millennial entrepreneurs who are like greatly concerned with 
uh, justice and more ethical business practices and less exploitative models, right? No, that's woke. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty woke. Is that's kind of that's kind of what we do, isn't it? I think we're a part of this millennial yeah. entrepreneur wave. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But there's a relatively new ISP called Starry. 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 Okay. And it is very much a part of that. I think that sort of wave that uh, that I just described. And it doesn't technically use 5G, but it does use the uh, millimeter wave technology. Uh, that yeah. that kind of defines some of the some of the protocols that use that uh, are using that delivery system. So they've kind of entered using that technology, that same sort of wireless technology that's akin to cellular data, to create a new ISP. And them being less interested in turning massive profits have a very interesting deal. They're not available in all places, of course, I imagine. But for those who can get them. They have some very interesting deals. Literally, you know what their best plan is? Let me tell you about their best plan. Okay, tell me about the best plan, because I want it, whatever it is. It's a gigabit internet. Okay, one gig? Yep, one gig. Uh, one gig down, half a gig up. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing about this, <laughs> this uh, technology, is that it could get pretty comparable download and upload speeds, unlike uh, certain, uh, most other forms of internet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just by virtue of the way, yeah, by the way, the, its distribution works. But get this, gigabit internet, one gig, $80 a month. Okay. That's insane. <laughs> what are you paying right now for you, uh, your internet, if I may ask? Is that something you want to disclose? <laughs> when all of the discounts and stuff wear off, it's going to be more than that. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it is, but it's almost, it's almost that much already. But yeah, it's... That's that's legitimately, legitimately insane for gigabit internet. That is the cheapest gigabit I've ever seen. I didn't know that. I couldn't even fathom the idea of gigabit getting anywhere under two hundred dollars, let alone under one hundred. Yeah. <laughs> well, because like I've heard, and I think we've got friends who have internet that good. Like obviously in other places in Europe or around the world where new infrastructure is prioritized or just like easier to do because of previous destruction of land or whatever for whatever reason uh new infrastructure comes up and you get really cheap really fast internet just because they can start over again that's like a little bit more i, I don't want i don't know how regular it is but i've heard that it's not unheard of right in other places that's fair that's fair yeah i don't know too much of the internet landscape overseas i know europe does generally ha tend to have better internet than us just because of just yeah general that that yeah. infrastructure consideration but but the thing is, like, until the U.S. puts any kind of focus on infrastructure, that's pretty much the only way we're ever going to get gigabit internet is through is through cellular. I don't I don't know how much these plans cost, but yeah, like I didn't think it would be like now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, a lot of this is emerging just in this last year, and right now there are a couple of major cellular uh, service providers that do offer home internet packages now and for pretty reasonable prices it's kind of insane yeah. and again this is part of this revolution that i didn't even notice is going on right now just because that's one of those things it's one of those utilities basically that once you get you kind of fire yeah. and forget right you it's like yeah, okay yeah. i got my plan i don't have to worry about it anymore but being forced to look into it a bit more i realized they're and having to shop yeah having it. to shop for it on someone else's behest i realized there are genuine revolutions going on right now in this technology field that i was not privy to and it stands to to reason essentially what frugal filmmaker said 
that a lot of people in these coming years who didn't have internet before are probably going to have internet. And, and they're going to be hungry for entertainment. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of people who even just might have only had bad internet before are now going to have access to quality internet. And that's yeah. kind of that's kind of great. <laughs> you know, just as that's like kind of awesome. just in terms of human flourishing, because everybody should be able to get a good internet. Yeah. So anyway, that's my little educational spiel. Uh, that's that's actually kind that's of something awesome. I learned about recently. Hope you learned something. <laughs> Well, you've definitely opened my eyes to options that I didn't know existed. I've learned a lot. And now I want And you learned a I lot. To figure out which one of those I want now <laughs> because I'm going to need You learned some. a lot and then and you play tested it while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Wireless internet technologies are advancing. All right. Well, I think that's it for this did you know segment, and I think that's going to be it for tonight's podcast. So thank you all very much for listening. This has been the Hypercube Podcast. This show is edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco with original theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see you all later. God bless. Adios. Adios.